A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tools Tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to your book. I'm Daisy Buchanan, the incorrigibly nosy, inky-fingered scourge of your local library. Before I introduce this week's brilliant guest, Lauren Bravo, here's a friendly reminder that my new book, The Sisterhood, a beautifully written delight, according to Nina Stibby, is out on the 7th of March. Your book listeners can pre-order it from themargatebookshop.com and get 20% off with a special code, BOOKED. If you want to support independent bookshops and this podcast, this is a great way to do it. Now to our guest. Lauren Bravo is the author of What Would the Spice Girls Do? A tender, funny, smart and joyous celebration of girlhood, fan culture and being a child of the 90s. She is a prolific journalist, writing warmly, wittily and regularly for absolutely everyone, including The Pool, The Guardian, Cosmopolitan and The Worthing Herald. Lauren is also one of my very best friends. Her little brother set us up on Twitter with the words, Hey, this girl sounds exactly like you, after I tweeted about choosing a bridesmaid's dress in under 20 minutes in order to crack on with some Bloody Marys. Lauren and I met in our 20s, but we're lifelong spiritual twins, sharing exactly the same views on custard, Amy Winehouse and reading material. Here's what I found on her shelves. So, Lauren Bravo... I'm looking in your beautiful brand new house, at your beautiful bookshelves. The first thing I noticed are three books that belong to me. I know, but do you notice how I put them out in a little pile so I can give them back to you? We should perhaps say for the record, these are, um, oh my God, what a complete Ashling. Also, Nora Ephron, who does come up quite a lot, and um, we've just been talking about, and um, Lush by Gabrielle Fernie, a memoir that I really loved. It was I great loved it fun. too. Loved it. I read that um, on a plane to Estonia and back. Um, and yeah, it's just gleeful. Yes, what have I left in it? I opened it. You have <laughs> from the Nordic Hotel Forum and... Um, oh, I think this is your bank statement. And my bank statement. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Do you know, I left them in there as a little treat. So you can uh, you can trace that book's That's journey. pretty strong. <laughs> oh God, um, is, this is going to be where you ask me about my uh, habits about abusing books, because I'm really bad for that. I mean, I think using them as records for your financial affairs. <laughs> are you a, a scribbler and a bender and a boxer? Yes, I'm not so much of a scribbler unless I have a reason to, if I'm writing about it or reviewing it or something. Um, I'm very much a corner bender. Um, and I is that so you can come back to things that have captured your imagination? Yeah, that and also I just never have a bookmark on me, um, and because I read very much in dribs and drabs, so I'm you know I'll snatch a page here and there on the tube and then turn the the corner over, and I always forget that I'm reading a book I borrowed off somebody else and then I do it. So yeah, no, I'm I'm awful for that. 
Sorry. So what do you read when you travel? Do you read in the morning? Do you read yeah. is reading a part of your day? Uh, not as much as I would like it to be. I yeah, I read when I travel and as a freelancer obviously that's a bit erratic. So some days I, I don't travel. I try and read before bed, but what inevitably happens is I fall asleep and the book lands on my face. So yeah, I mean I Your abs- face is the ultimate bookmark. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, so if you find some of the pages are drool marked, uh, <laughs> apologies. No, I mean, I absolutely live for really long train journeys. That's the thing that gets me so excited. So this weekend we're going up to Edinburgh and knowing that I have an uninterrupted four and a half hours to read is just bliss because I don't get that very often. Um, oh, what do I have? Oh, I've got uh, Educated by Tara Westover, uh, which I bought today. No, I bought that today. Uh, I was meant to be Christmas shopping and <laughs> I picked it up thinking, oh, well, someone will want this. And then I thought, well, no, it's me. It's me that wants that. Did you so, get it from a lovely independent bookshop? I did. I got it from Flox Books, which Ooh. is my new local. Which is... Let's give Flox a plug. I don't know them, but Flox is P-H-L-O-X. Yes. And it comes with a bookmark. It comes with a bookmark. Exactly. There we go. So they've nipped my dirty habit in the bud. Um, yeah, Flox Books on Francis Road. There's a story I've heard, and I wish I could remember the, the writer, and it might be, a re- I might have seen it on Twitter, but someone was on a train, and this must have been some time ago when you could open a train window, but a man was on a train and saw someone reading her book that he had written, and he got very excited. And at one point he sort of, he laughed, and that was, he wanted to say, oh, that was me, but he held his tongue. Then something happened, sort of three quarters of the way through, apparently, and the reader, his face caved in, and he looked furious, <gasps> and he made lots of, and he threw it out the window. <laughs> What was the last thing you read on a train that you wanted to throw out the window? Oh, God. Um, Do you know what? I mean, this is not the last thing. I'm cheating on this. But I remember trying to read Ulysses when I was at uni. And the worst thing about that Ulysses. Well, yeah. So I found that when you take Ulysses out in public, it's like it performs some kind of magic trick and just men everywhere want to talk to you about it and I just remember being just furious and I didn't finish it partly because you know I'm lazy and it's Ulysses but also because I just couldn't take it anymore anytime I sat down on the bus or the train a man from nowhere would pop out and go oh I see you're reading Ulysses how are you getting on with that then not a light read is it and um <laughs> genuinely I've never gone back to James Did Joyce anything since. they say implied that they had actually read Ulysses also or that oh there's a book I th- <laughs> there's yeah. a <laughs> it makes me think of, I've been in bars with you where, well, I ordered your whiskey. Oh, that's not a drink yeah. for girls. Like your whole life's a Yorkie advert. Exactly the same thing. Exactly the same. It was a magnet for dickheads. And now I'm saying it, I really wish I had finished it um, and could have dazzled them with my, my searing critical commentary. But sadly, no. Do you remember enjoying any of it before the, the men came? Uh, no. And you know what? I was saying to somebody the other day, um, I think we were talking about books with lots of piss in them. And I remember saying, oh, there's piss in Ulysses. And, and, and they went, is there? And I was like, yeah, no, I'm sure there is. I'm sure there is. It's a bit with the kidneys, you know? Yeah, Ulysses, full of piss. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that isn't true. But, so, But the thing is, you could say anything about it, couldn't you? And no one would ever know. And they would just nod and smile. I mean, well, this, this brings us to my, my terrible confession and what is probably going to make me a really unsuitable guest for this podcast is that I have a really bad memory for books. So books that I have read even quite recently and books that I have loved, 
I can't tell you what happens in them. So here, <laughs> so you've got um, Thomas Hardy, Tess the Dalzels. And what do you think about the bit with the, the dolphin and the... Um, oh, yeah, no. the fire that came from the sky. The, where the dolphin sings happy birthday. Yes. Loved it, loved it. So actually, right, <laughs> Tess the D'Urbervilles is a case in point. So I uh, studied that. That's my mother's copy. And lots of my, my most battered old sort of copies of books were my mother's. Um, my mum is, is properly a voracious reader in the way that so I wish I were. So if your mum listening, and would she be upset to learn that um, <laughs> the cover of Tess the Durbervilles is no longer friends with the spine? I'd like to think she would just, you know, she'd approve of that because it shows that it was it was read. Um, the truth of the matter is that we did it at, uh, I think it was year nine or year ten at school, and nobody wanted to read it and in the end so the the essay was meant to be on the entire book and then the essay got whittled down to I think the first 10 chapters <laughs> then the essay got whittled down to the first chapter and I think in the end I wrote my essay on the symbolism of everything that happens on the first page so and I've never read any more Thomas Hardy is that terrible it probably is I isn't it I should don't I read Thomas Hardy um for A level and I did not like it I think it's because as a sort of a lack of Levity. And this oh, this is very kind of me being a terrible, pretentious teenager. And I'm sure loads of people will write and say, it's not true. But I felt that he was really quite awful and condescending about the local villages. And oh, they yeah. were there as a kind of Greek... Co- oh, how convenient the poor people are here to teach us yeah. about life. And then all the women are punished constantly. Which yes. was life, to be fair. It's not. I don't well, think he was moralising about that. I think he's maybe saying this is how it's... Like, just get a bit sick of people being stoned and not in a good yeah. way. <laughs> what do I see here? Um, there's lots and lots of Nancy Mitford. There is, there is. Obviously, I obviously I love Nancy Mitford. Um, and oh, next to Nancy Mitford as well is um, one of the Map and Lucia's, and all of the rest of them are on my Kindle. I went through a Kindle phase about six years ago, maybe. So everything that I read in that era, I don't have um, a hard copy of. But yeah, I absolutely love Map and Lucia. That's always something I recommend to people if they kind of like the Mitfords and want to go further. I think I love reading about snobs and social climbing oh, yeah. and manners. Oh, my and, absolute well, favourite type of book. Yeah. As you know, you and I are both big, big, big fans of Hyacinth um, oh my bouquet God, yes. or bucket. And actually, that's so true. And I think so, Miss Map and, uh, and Lucia were definitely sort of pre proto Hyacinth. Completely. I've never thought of that. Yeah, it's so true. That is, yeah, definitely. I remember once I. Um, I lent some books to my boss, um, one of my old jobs, and he took them on holiday and he came back and he said, Lauren, your, all of your books are just about posh people getting pissed. <laughs> and, and I realised that that is my type. Yeah, that, that's my favourite genre. genre. Did I hear you on a different podcast saying your favourite genre... Or am I confusing you with another guest? Is um, Paul the Posh. Paul but Posh? Yeah, okay, Posh I did Paul. say that as well. That is my other favourite subgenre is Paul but Posh. But I like reading about posh people. And I don't know what that's about. Oh, social comedies, anything from the sort of middle of the twentieth century. Absolutely die for it. But like Barbara Pym, I've got lots of Barbara Pym's up there in that shelf. Oh, let me have a reach. There yeah, so ah. I've got a few nice seventies versions. Do you want the chair? Is that excellent women. It's excellent women, and all of the all of those very colourful ones are Barbara Pym oh, as well. They're, they're new nice. versions. There you are. So you mentioned reading your mum's Thomas Hardy. I'm going to see if. Oh, oh God! <laughs> hold on to the chair. It was really inconsiderate of me to put my shelves up so high. I've, I think I had a bit of a Beauty and the Beast kind of fantasy going on, and actually, it's just really impractical. Um, I do want to kind of to glide up and down the shelves. So, yes, I see you've got. Um, 
So that also quite wedged in. Um, excellent women. But how you think of yourself? Well, you should be how you think of yourself, actually. You truly are an excellent woman. Do you think it's in these times? This is really weird talking to you from the chair. <laughs> I quite like it. I'm going to sing you a song. Um, it's really, we don't really get permission to laugh at people, but mm. I think we're very, very careful about kindness, which is a really good thing. Which but is reading a thing. these. Yes books from I guess the earlier part of the last century that are fantastically bitchy oh completely oh it's that very British thing as well of never liking anybody to have ideas above their station mm. and I think when I say I love books about posh people quite often it's because it's posh people sort of getting a comeuppance and there is that slight hierarchy of anybody who has ideas above their station as with keeping up appearances I guess um yeah but it's a gentle laughing at isn't it it's a sort of knowing mockery um I suppose that's a comedy of manners isn't it it's the idea it's so people can see themselves yes and they're laughing at themselves in their quite own safe foibles oh completely way. I mean it's that thing that um Mr Bennett says in Prime Prejudice isn't it about we exist to make sport for our neighbours and you know uh laugh at them in our turn it, it's that isn't it and yeah I mean Barbara Pym as well just a strong <laughs> illusion to pluck I know, I'm really, I, I'm amazed. I don't know where that came from. <laughs> um, I nearly was like, oh yes, of course, Mr. Bennett said that. No, that was impressive. Thank lit, you. Probably the most lit we've got. I mean, come on, I say I've got no memory for books. What I do have a memory for is BBC dramas. So <laughs> let's let's be honest. So earlier you said about the Hardys belong to your mum. How much of an impact has she had on what you read? Oh, massively. Um, so yeah, my mother, um, she has the best taste in books of anybody I know. Or rather, she has my taste in books, um, but but more discerning. And yeah, so anything that she loves, I, I will love. And she often lends me books and she reads far quicker than I do. She gets through a lot more so I can kind of use her as a bit of a sounding board. And if she says, don't bother with something, then I won't. Yeah, and it's funny because my both my parents did English at university. But yeah, so I think reading was always a big part of our house growing up and I think you know it was so privileged to have that massively so yeah but I, I kind of torture myself now actually with how much more my mother seemed to get from that education than I did so she can still ch uh, quote great chunks of Chaucer you know and she can just roll off uh, quotations from things and she remembers stuff that she read 30 years ago and I don't remember things I read three months ago so I've always really envied that in her yeah do you think it's because we're products of this awful time where we just have too much in our heads yeah. always yeah I do I think my yeah my attention span is so short and I don't know I guess people's brains work in different ways but I do think that the books that I read when I was in my adolescence have really burned themselves into my brain in a way that nothing else has since like, were all these books very much books that are in your house that you discovered or was there anything that you remember reading in secret or in private Mm, I knew you were going to ask me this and I was trying to think like was there anything really naughty I mean do you know what actually is terrible and I think I'm probably the only guest you've had that will say this I've not read Forever by Judy Bloom. Um did you sort of know of it did you know yeah. people who were reading it uh, yeah because I read everything else that she wrote and I loved loved all of them like um starring Sally J Friedman as herself oh I love that but is that when is it after the war and yes. they moved to do they move to Long Island or am I thinking of no, then I again think, maybe I won't I think they do move to Long Island I think and and again I can't I can't I can barely tell you anything that happens in it but I know I adored it and I read it over and over again 
and Dini. I remember in Dini. Oh, has she got scoliosis? Yeah, and with it talks about masturbation mm. in Dini, and I definitely didn't know what that was. <laughs> As in, she there's how a bit. Old, how old were you? Oh, I don't know, like eleven, something like that, ten. And and she talks about her, she talks about a special place that feels nice. <laughs> and I genuinely remember thinking, oh, she must have just like a really smooth bit on her arm. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, it's weird. I don't. I think I must have read books secretly. Um, but also, I don't think my reading was censored in the same way TV was. You know, I mean, I wasn't allowed to watch Friends when I was sort of eight or nine years old. But I probably would have been allowed to read any book. Are there any books that you've introduced your mum to that she has loved? That's a good question. I lent her uh, Viv Albertine's To Throw Away Unopened, which is one of the books I evangelise about all the time at the moment. I think she's read it. I'm not sure I've asked her, actually. Because oh, that's so <laughs> weird, isn't it, when you lend someone a book? And they don't mention it and it gets to a point where he feels that he can't say, so. Yes. Oh, no. And it's so nerve-wracking. I mean, I have a tendency when I give people presents to apologise for them as they're opening them. You know, I'm, I'm really, really sorry. Actually, it's just a tiny thing. It's, it's, it's a crap thing. Actually, just give it back to me. And I think I do a little bit the same with books as well because I can't bear the idea of bigging up a book that somebody else then doesn't like. But I do, I love lending books. I mean, as I was unpacking these books the other day to sort of put on the bookshelves, I realised actually all of the books I really love that are my favourites, I don't have because they're gone away somewhere. Do you want me to help you down? Oh, thank you so much. I'm like about a thousand years old. Actually, this is, do I go back? Oh, I'm going back into the Christmas show. Yeah, because I know... We have a lot of conversations about Nils Stratfield. Yeah, I don't see her here. No, oh no, so there is you one. You lie, Lauren, you lie. There is what, Dale, you've got good oh. eyesight. There is Party Frock, which um, is one, do you know what, I actually still haven't read it, but I found it in this gorgeous little bookshop in Chichester, I think, last Christmas. But yeah, so I have all my my mother's old copies of Ballet Shoes and the Bell family, and they've all got... Um, Stains on the pages where she used to eat banana sandwiches in bed when she read them. Um, Your mum, Nell Stratfield. <laughs> Note to publisher, please include the banana stain. Wouldn't that be nice if we did that? Yeah, I no. so they are somewhere, but I don't think I've unpacked them. I think they must be in a secret box somewhere. Are you much of a rereader? Do you have any comfort reads or things that you keep returning to? Yeah, I mean, they're such cliches, but... You you know I'm going to say here Bridget Jones's diary. I probably reread about once a year at I least. See them all here we have Bridget Jones's diary. Yes, Bridget Jones's The Edge of Reason, Bridget Jones's Baby, mm. and Olivia Jules and the Overactive Imagination. <laughs> Which I wish you hadn't said that because that copy belongs to Janina Matthewson, <laughs> and she lent it to me when we had that party when we read Bridget Jones on the anniversary. Was it the 20 year anniversary of Bridget? I think so. I'm going to try and get this down. Shall we see what Bridget was doing on, um, not to date this too much, but on the 18th of December? Oh, yeah, let's. Um, it's quite near the end. It's not. Oh, the... there's no 18th. There's, we have Thursday the 14th and Tuesday the 19th. So we're only one day out. Okay. Was this when she buys the posh olive oil and then it breaks all over somebody? Yes, it is. Yeah, is there we go. Got we, do you want to read out her, um, her <laughs> daily tally? Oh, God. Oh, it's always so bleak, isn't it? Nine stone seven, brackets, but still nearly one week to lose half stone before Christmas. Alcohol units nine, poor. Cigarettes 30, calories 4,240. Instance one, excellent. That's lottery instance, isn't it? Cards sent zero. Cards received 11, but include two from Paperboy, one from Dustman, one from Peugeot Garage, and one from Hotel Spent Night in for Work four years ago. Am unpopular, or maybe everyone's sending cards later this year. I mean, that... Um, 
is searingly relevant because I haven't done any of my Christmas cards. Uh, I'm feeling very bridgy about it. Yeah, I um, I mean, this talking about books that you read in adolescence. So I read Bridget Jones when I was 14 and it was very much tied up in um, studying Prime Prejudice at school and the film of Bridget Jones coming out and me watching the BBC Prime Prejudice adaptation for the first time. And that all happened in the space of about three months. And I remember just spending the whole time in this hormonal frenzy uh, with, I used to print photos of Colin Firth off uh, the internet and keep them in my pencil case and things. And um, I think out of everything, it was my love of Bridget really that hit me the hardest and has never gone away. That was an amazing time, wasn't it? When you really had to go and make your totems. I did. And I used to cut his wife out of them. I mean, this is something that comes up because I know so many, you know, women like us who love Bridget mm. and there was something radical about her writing a comedy about a woman living in a very modern way. Do you think, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but is that a book that made you think, oh, you're allowed to write like this? I could do yeah. this. Yeah, definitely. Um, but do you know what I would also say? Yeah, actually, no, you're right. Bridget, um, I remember really vividly thinking that the way that Bridget and her friends spoke was so, so witty, but also it was kind of the first time I remember thinking, oh, other people find their friends hilarious in the way that Mm. I find my friends hilarious, but I'd never really seen it represented on the page. But I think really one of my formative experiences of uh, funny women writers and comic novels about women were books like Jill's Pony Trek, um, all of the Ruby Ferguson books, and there were so many actually from the 50s. I used to read these ones called Susan, Susan at School, Susan Rushes In, Susan's Helping Hand. Susan Rushes In. Susan Sounds Rushes really In. familiar. I love that name. <laughs> and they were about this uh, Scottish girl called Susan who had to go to boarding school with her cousins and she was always getting into mad scrapes. And um, But they were hilarious. And I really think, you know, even if I went back now and read them, I would still think they were really, really funny. I do sometimes, that, uh, Lucy Mangan, I don't know if you've read her book, Bookworm, a memoir of childhood reading. Really, really loved it. And she says something incredibly savvy about Ruby Ferguson and the pony books, which is they were for girls who would have loved to have had a pony but didn't have them. The real pony girls were out with their, with their horses. Yeah, but they were for the kind, you know, that again, it's kind of that posh but poor, posh enough to yeah. imagine life the pony, but too poor to have a pony because but, they cost a billion pounds. Do you know what? I never had any desire to ride a pony, even. I, I just loved that, like, that was how funny they were, that I was such a, like, unathletic, uh, towny kid. And, and yet, yeah, I wanted to go on a pony trek just for the lols. My sister, Gracie, used to get a, I think, various... Like pony magazines, and every week they'd come with a free hoof pick or something. <laughs> and so I just say, does it? Does Grace not bother that this isn't something that she could use in her life? But she's like having dog, the gear. Yeah. Just put your hoof picks on your mantelpiece. And I was thinking about boarding school as well. I think is very very similar. Where I think that I'm sure they're out there. I'm absolutely sure they're out there. But I don't know anyone who went to boarding school and loves Mallory Towers. I think they're very much Oh, yeah. Because, like, and you have to go to boarding school under a strange set of circumstances. Like, you know, you've got a scholarship or your father's going to work in the Gulf. Running away from the circus. Ever come across the Trevisan books? No, no. They were a sort of modern, I think written in the 90s, and Digby, or maybe late 80s. It was Rebecca, who was the heroine, and she wasn't a scholarship kid. And what was good about that was, I think, often... The scholarship girls had to be super, super brainy, and that could be a yes. little bit alienating. Yeah, that's so And they're true. also, you know, that's sort of being a bit shabby and a bit worried. But she was normal enough for a reader to relate, but also 
she only got there because the, the firm were paying for it while the family were off in the <laughs> so, UAE yeah. or whatever. And then you're allowed to like her. That's the thing, isn't mm. it? Yeah, you've got to... And it got very sexy. Someone had a Swedish cousin called Ingrid. He had boyfriends and was talked to sunbathing <laughs> on the beach and always being told off. And she's like, it's the natural way. <laughs> I think I definitely had moments of stirrings that I couldn't quite put my finger on. Interesting. Until I read Deanie. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, how to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, how to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. We'll be back with Lauren shortly, but now it's time for my Steal of the Week, a book I loved so much that paying the cover price alone seems like an act of daylight robbery. This week, my steal is She is Fierce, Brave, Bold and Beautiful Poems by Women, edited and compiled by Anna Sampson. This gorgeous anthology features poems by women whose work I love, like Maya Angelou and Dorothy Parker, and work by poets whose work I've been thrilled to encounter for the first time, like Nikita Gill and Imitaz Darker. The poems are grouped together according to theme, and the selection really is smart and harmonious. This is a great book to have beside the bed so you can start and end your day with a poem. And often I start reading one when I'm exhausted, only to discover an hour has passed and I'm 20 poems deep. It's a book to treasure and revisit often. That's She Is Fierce by Anna Sampson, published by Pam Macmillan. Now back to Lauren. Uh, so you've also got one of my very favourite writers, a write by Helen Fielding. Oh, I think I've got a speech up. Um... You have uh, Nina Stibby. I do. Oh, God, I love her. Guest who um, who we've recorded with. Yeah, um, I'm eagerly awaiting it. Yeah, so I um, I read Love Nina. Do you know what? Shamefully, I don't think I read it until after the TV show had come out. Oh, really? But did I you read it first or did you read the novels first? I read Man at the Helm first. Ah, uh, me yes. too. Yeah, which I just loved. How did that come into your life? Do you know what? It was. It has such a beautiful cover. Shamelessly, I kept seeing it in bookshops a few years ago. Is this the Jam Tart one? That's the Jam Tart one, yeah. 
and I'm I'm a complete sucker for a beautiful cover. And I think I'm normally quite good as well. It's at... wedged. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. You I know it. packed it's my yellow gingham with jam so tightly. Yeah, and then I read um, Paradise Lodge. I read that on holiday last summer in Scotland. We had a very cold, very rainy August holiday in Scotland, um, and we were holed up in a cottage. And I read the whole of Paradise Lodge in in a day, I think. And yeah, I oh, she's so so good. She's got a sense of humour that reminds me, I think, of my mum and my family. Because there's nothing worse, is there, than reading a book that everybody says is hilarious, mm. and you maybe sort of chuckle quietly twice. You know, and you get so many of those books, I think particularly, I don't want to generalise, but often comic books written by mm. men, um, will always have kind of very sweeping cover quotes that say, I laughed until I cried, I laughed until I ached. And I, I was, was hospitalised, <laughs> such is the power of this book. And I will, yeah, and I'll read them and I will sort of, you know, smile slightly once on the bus and that's it. And I always felt like I was kind of missing a trick with those books. So there's just something so delightful about reading a book that is funny in the exact way that the people you love are funny. Mm. Yeah. And I think it is, it's very weird and dark and human, isn't it? I think it's interesting because that book was packaged as a lovely, you know, light, oh, how, you know, I'm in Bennett Round for Tea, mm. which more obviously love Nina than, than Man at the Helm. And it's just about the tragedy, really, of uh, how families come together when they're coming apart. And... Yeah. I think what I really loved about it was that awful, awful... So when you're a really little kid and you start to learn bits about the adult world and you've got no context for it. And so those things seem so much scarier and oh, so much harder to bear out of context. Yeah, completely. Well, things like your parents talking about money around you. Mm. I always found that absolutely terrifying yes. when I was a kid to think that my parents were struggling or a bit hard up. Because of the books that yes. we read. Because you're like, we're going to the workhouse. Darling, there haven't been workhouses in the country for 100 years. Go to workhouse! Oh my god, yeah you're, yeah, you're probably right. No, completely, yeah. And it, it's those little glimpses of adult adult knowledge without any context are, um, are terrifying. Yeah. I suppose that's what, um, you know, going back to Nancy Mitford as well and that weird war period where they, you know, you're kept a child for so long and then suddenly you're terrifyingly adult that's it no completely whereas you know these days we are what are we teenagers till we're 25 now so they're 32 <laughs> 46 Abby, i see you've got um elena ferrante yes everybody is you know everyone i'm friends with loves they have to yeah have you ever if you had have you ever thought about concealing your identity or writing things anonymously do you know it's funny i have i've definitely said this a few times recently um because I wrote a book this year that came out a couple of months ago. And um, so, yeah, because uh, I got kind of projected quite quickly into the world of promoing a book um, this year. And I have definitely had moments where I've gone, God, I wish I could just do an Elena Ferrante and not have to do any of this. Because it is, it's a weird sort of thing that people don't really prepare you for. Like, you know that writing the book is going to be hard. Mm. But the, uh, the trying to sell it afterwards... And, you know, in our modern age of social media and things and feeling that it all kind of rests on your shoulders and you've got to kind of really be this perfect author figure and, you know, say all the right things afterwards. It did make me think a lot about how miraculous it is that we read what we read and that we find books because feeling as though you need to go out and find your readers yeah. and if you don't, it's somehow all your fault. That's it, personally put like, it into how, each person's yeah, hands. Nell yeah. hasn't been around our house, please. No. But no, I loved, I loved the Elena Ferrantes and I kind of, do you know what? I have a bit of, um, I guess you're going to say it's imposter syndrome, but also sometimes I think it's quite valid, but I do often read books that I feel I'm not quite clever enough for. And Elena Ferrante, I had that gorgeous thing of them being right on the cusp for me. So I felt challenged by them. 
And I really felt like I was being forced to think quite a lot, mm. which if I'm really honest, that's not my natural inclination when it comes to books. Like I, you know, if someone says to you, oh yeah, you love this, it's so complex and, and you know, and, and meaty and interesting and you'll cry at the end, I'm just not going to pick it up. So I'm really glad that I read all of those. And um, I don't ask me what happened in them because again, I would, <laughs> I would get as far as I Naples. I think, yeah, there was a doll. So, as the, you know, the setting and she's sort of having you know, different relationships throughout. Mm. And I think that first one is so striking. And I think, again, because it is about their childhood and I think it really, it stays with you. And in the way that their friendship becomes less intense and, you know, I think intense in their heads, but it becomes a lot more fragmented. Maybe our relationships with them do as well. And it's not that immediate kind of... I think that's it. And I think there's something to be said for, for books where... It's okay if you are not 100% with it the entire way through, if that makes sense. Mm. I think because they are such dense books and, you know, I definitely remember there being passages where I was completely consumed by it and thinking, God, this is so beautiful and I completely identify. And then other passages where I was a bit lost and a little bit bored. And I think that's kind of okay if you're going to write an enormous four volume saga, Mm. that's sort of to be expected, isn't it? But I think I'm only just now in my 30s kind of, giving myself permission almost to have that kind of response to books. Do you think in the way, because I know you've talked a lot and we've had conversations and you've written about this and spoken about that sense of you being an author, you know, capital A's all round, oh, about yeah. how you'll live and look and be. Do you feel like that as an adult reader as well, that you believe there'd be a point of, I don't know, being the sort of person who would just, you know, oh, I'm reading Dickens for the fifth time for fun. Yes, and yeah. Oh. Almost waiting for that shift to happen without maybe doing anything to make the shift happen I think that's it and I describe myself yeah no it's so true do you know it's funny you should say Dickens as well because today I have had a bit of um, (laughs) a bit of Twitter drums Um, I tweeted something really silly yesterday about making a reference to a Christmas carol putting your dick in (laughs) (laughs) oh well now I feel better I love you no I right it was about I made a reference to a Christmas carol in an article that I was writing and then later realised that the reference I had made was not to a Christmas carol it was to a Muppet Christmas carol (laughs) and it was about I, I wrote it was a reference to Marley and Marley and I you know a day later went back and got oh god of course it's only one marley and i tweeted that and then it got picked up for one of those twitter moments that are really unhelpful twitter like thank you very much twitter but actually if you could just not do that because what what happens then is that all of the sort of jeremy's and brian's of the world crawl out and so all afternoon i've had people going i just don't understand how you could make this mistake there have been countless adaptations of dickens and does nobody read books anymore um there have been countless adaptations of dickens and they all blur into one big bonnety pile of whatever and then you've got the magnificent muppets who will have our hearts and minds as long as they shall live yeah and i have no shame in saying that i think some of the the stories i love the most and the ones that have really stayed with me are the ones that have been adapted i mean you realize as well you caught it it's not as if you know the editor was like um yes it wasn't printed thank you but um but no it's funny so dickens i have only read one Dickens, and that's Bleak House. Bleak the House. The hardest one. Pretty hardcore. I know, right? The Christmas Carol is short. Exactly. So I had to read Bleak House in my first year of uni, and my tutor, she said, How are you getting on with it? And I said, 
And uh, and she said, I've only read Bleak House as well. You don't need to read any more Dickens. <laughs> and it was just joyous. It was like she'd just given me a puppy. <laughs> yeah, I was like, really? Really? She said, yeah, if you don't like Dickens, you don't need to read any more of it. And and that was revelatory. But I think I think I do hold generally, I have a bit of a complex about maybe having wasted my university education. Um, and particularly this week when I was putting all these books on, mm. on the shelves in our new flat... And I was putting uh, all the ones that you see on the top there. So all my kind of poetry anthologies and stuff. And then things... that Norton The Norton anthology. anthology. Yeah, good as a doorstop or, uh, you know, pressing flowers. I just remember I lost that about four times. And they cost about 80 quid Oh, they're ridiculous, yeah. And so and then next to that, I've got things like um, Ovid's Metamorphosis and Aristotle and... Darwin and do you know what's really shameful I didn't what we need to say as well on this this shelf of (laughs) pride and learning and literature um the last book on the left is (laughs) Dilly Cooper is that deliberate is that jump no it's mount mount it's it's, i think the most recent one as a super fan i should know the most recent one is mount it's mount and i actually put it up there because it's really big and doesn't fit on the other shelves um but yeah, I mean, so all of those books I, I've not read. I used to buy them 10 minutes before my seminar and take them and sit with you them in front of me. No, well, no, this is the thing. I mean, I was an idiot is what I was because I didn't go to the library until at least my second year. <laughs> and I spaffed all of my loan going to Waterstones 10 minutes before my seminars, buying these books, sitting in a seminar, not understanding what was going on because I hadn't read the book. And then they would just go on a pile and I never read them. Yeah, it's bad, isn't it? Well, I... <laughs> Feel. Why have you still got them? To look like I'm clever. <laughs> Obviously. 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 Maybe one day, if I like break both my legs or something, then I will just plough through the, the Riverside thing, Chaucer. Yeah. <laughs> Don't do that to yourself. You've already got broken legs. No, Chaucer's very good. I've heard it's bawdy and hilarious. Is that not true? Well, There's fanny jokes in Chaucer. I... My friend Duncan, he said that in his, I think, charged teenage youth, he saw Jilly Cooper on the telly doing something. And he was at that point doing some chores at school and thought that she was the kind of the modern representation of the wife of Bath. The wife of Bath. Oh, well, there we go. Now I feel validated. Right. A lot of symmetry. Absolutely. On that shelf. Are there any books you regret finishing? You're like, I'm never going to get that time back. That is interesting. I have a bit of a relationship with Barbara Kingsolver. Ah. So I'm looking now. I remember loving the Poisonwood Bible. I was I, I was really into that. The Is lacuna, that the, the I family think, was, in the yeah the family in in I can't remember whereabouts in Africa they are. That's terrible, and that they're isn't all it? missionaries. And they're missionaries, and um, there's a snake, and it's and, kind of a, a saga of them them going off and yes. And I remember enjoying that. Um, the lacuna, I think, I remember struggling with quite a lot. I really wish I'd asked you for a cover quote. There's a snake. <laughs> there's, I remember there's a snake in it. Um, you could have done one for the little friend. Lots of snakes, but possibly figment of crystal meth imagination. I, do you know what I do regret actually mm. more is I, there are lots of books that I have abandoned halfway through, not because I wasn't enjoying them, but just because my head was turned by something that looked a little mm. bit more fun. And then I've not got, gone back to them. Um, so that's quite bad. So uh, Crudo by Olivia Lang, I need to go back to that because I was, I was reading that and I was kind of, very enthralled by it I hadn't made up my mind as to whether I'd loved it or not oh no you've just got it out how much have I read of that not very much 
You can see where I folded around not, the uh, the end enormous. papers. Okay, it looks quite doable. It is very slim. Oh, it is. Yeah. Um, but something else crossed my path, and I think it might have been. Oh my god, what a complete Ashling actually. Um, ah, and I just, yeah, I just Sorry. knew I wanted to read that first. So that is a terrible tendency I have. Do you, I often read, I'm reading a few different things at the same time. And I think it's kind of like, it's a bit like, perfect, God, I'm so spoiled and awful. I should just read one book and stick to it. But the sort of, just I have moments where if I'm reading something really bleak, I'm like, oh, I, I just need a bit of P.G. Woodhouse right now. Oh, completely. I think books for different moods is a really legitimate way of doing it. Because that's how you do TV, isn't it? You know, you wouldn't want to sit down and watch The Handmaid's Tale every single night. Sometimes you just want Parks and Rec or something. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think that's I think that's fine, but I, I do kind of regret abandoning a few things. Do you think you'll return to them? I'm going to... Do you feel as though... Uh, yeah, Maybe I came out of my life for a reason. <laughs> um, do you know, another one I have to go back to is When I Hit You, which is fantastic. You get that one out. So... My friend Joe and I have a lovely tradition where every year for like the past, I think, six or seven years, we have gone to the Women's Prize for Fiction readings, mm. which they do the night before the awards. And it's lovely. And so all of the nominated authors do a reading from their book and then they do some questions and then you buy the books at the end. And Joe and I normally buy most of the books between us and then we share them and swap them around, um, which as as a as an author now, I probably shouldn't be condoning Buy all your own books. Um, well, but I know that. I mean, it's a lot of books. It's a lot of books. Price. You're getting, what, Made how of many? money. Six books each. Exactly. I think you're doing your, your good work in the book trade. Well, there we go. Good. So, um, and this was one of this year's When I Hit You by uh, Mina Kandasami. And it's absolutely beautiful. And it's so poetic and so brilliant. And I'm ashamed to say that I have read, what is that, about a third of it. And again, I... I did abandon it for something else, but I will go back to that because I loved that. And actually, it's funny, a lot of the books um, over the last few years that I have loved the most are books that I bought that night at the Women's Prize for Fiction readings. So um, Ali Smith up there. Mm. Again, I think Ali Smith right on the top there. I can see how to be both and I can see the accidental. Yes. Um, So How to Be Both was the one I think that that won uh, a couple Mm. of years ago. Actually, that was brilliant because Ali Smith she came to do a seminar when I was at uni. She came to do a seminar as a guest. You know, our our lecturer had got her in. It was a great honour and everything. And um, we were studying um, The Member of the Wedding by Carson McCullers. It was for a brilliant course I did called Literary Representation in the History of Homosexuality, which was one of the best things I did at uni. And um, she got about five minutes into the seminar and she was asking us questions. and Nobody was really being very responsive. I had not read the book, so I was keeping quiet. And after a few minutes, she stopped and she went, right, come on, be honest with me, hands up, who's actually read this book? And not a single person in the class had read it. Ooh. And it was really embarrassing. Um, and I felt terrible about that for a decade afterwards. And so then when I went to that event and she was there and I bought the book and took it up to get it signed afterwards. And I was like, I'm really sorry, you won't remember me, you won't remember this, but I have to just absolve myself. <laughs> I'm so sorry that none of us read that book. And she did remember. <laughs> uh, and so the inscription in that book says... To Lauren, um, I hope you enjoy it or something like that. Please read The Member of the Wedding by Carson McCullers <laughs> from Ali Smith. Um, That's brilliant. Have you? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I did read her book and I loved that. Um, Have I just read, and it's one of those books, again, where I feel a bit ashamed 
that I hadn't read it before, mm. but I just loved it so, and I'm so glad I did. I just read The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, her, I think possibly her most famous one. Yes. Curse from the Colours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you read that? No. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I think all these wonderful things are waiting, and it's really, really lovely. I think that our trouble is perhaps, other than we're, we're lazy shits who just want a quick giggle, <laughs> um, we are absolutely overwhelmed and saturated and it is so much, but I think we're under so much pressure to consume and consume and consume. And yes. actually we should be really, really excited about the fact that we will never, ever, ever run out we'll of never books. get to the end. It's yeah. infinite and thrilling and there are all these worlds here. Yes. What's your Francoise Sagan? Is that Bonjour Tristesse? It is Bonjour Tristesse. I is read that. that, that teenage... No, I actually read age. that this year. Oh, really? Yeah, because... How does it read now? Mm, I I really I enjoyed it, um, but I th- I thought it was quite flawed. But I enjoyed it. You know, um, it, I mean, it, I, I dare say I would extract a very different meaning from it now from it now. Than I did when I was a yeah, definitely. I think I teenager. this is it, and I think I read it almost as a um, as a gift to my inner pretentious teenager who does come out a bit every so often. And I think in the way that when I was about 17, I like trained myself to drink black coffee because I thought it would make me cool. But I you still f- do. <laughs> but I still do. And you do kind of carry with you, don't you, those little affectations. And so I think reading <laughs> Bourgeois Tristesse was definitely a kind of a, a bit of a regression in that. But um, I trained myself I did to drink black coffee because lattes were giving me terrible IBS. <laughs> oh, well, there we go. We all have our reasons, don't we? <laughs> I see um, a lot of um, Toni Morrison, who she's someone I feel terrible for not reading. Oh, okay. Now, I love Toni Morrison. So this, there we go. I can claw back some uh, cred here. I was lucky enough to do Toni Morrison for A-level. I did jazz for um, my A-levels. And I think there is something, isn't there, when you study a book and you really... Turn fucking native. Yeah, I mean, yeah. (laughs) I got very lucky with my A-levels, actually. All the books I did were lovely. And jazz, I... Oh God, I just adored it. And it's um, it's interesting because I have a bit of a difficult relationship with things like modical, uh, magical realism. Mm. I don't love. I really struggle with what's his face, <laughs> Gabriel Garcia Marquez. Books like that, I don't adore. But there's something about the way Toni Morrison writes where she has this slight magical thread running through mm. it. So she's writing in the real world, but at the same time, there is something a little bit extra there's an extra layer of, of something sort of supernatural often going on see I think in and a, I adore the it. most sort of a very 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 minor way I think you'd be pushed to call it magical realism but I'm so intolerant of magical realism that yeah. I could find it in there Elena Ferrante does that a bit. yes a little bit and I think it's very hit and miss with me sometimes I will I will hate books that do that um what's another one Isabella Lande The House of the Spirits oh, I remember yes hating that but I did read it all but I remember really resenting the person who made me read it but every so often I will read a book that has that sort of that slight sense of your reading about the world that is almost our world but not quite and so jazz particularly I think it's, it's more in the prose so the way that she writes it has that beautiful syncopation because it's meant to kind of mimic jazz music not to sound too much like I'm doing my A-levels again and I the staccato yeah. <laughs> the sibilance and the assonance lots of fricatives no I she, yeah she's Excuse fantastic <laughs> and I then so that sort of then sparked an interest in Toni Morrison I did um, I think I did Beloved at uni but I I you know I would kind of go back and reread them all again and I, I just think she's a magnificent writer you're sort of making me wish there was an A level for us where we don't have an exam yes like, like a book group but with a 
someone really supervising it and really making us yeah forced to like really get under the skin Mm. of a book but that's the thing because I think you know and it can be a double-edged sword because sometimes if you have to pick a book apart then you end up hating it but actually a lot of the books that I can talk about with the most kind of affection are the ones that I was forced to spend an entire term dissecting when you think of what goes into any book especially these novels it seems absurd to the point of it being a bit insulting that we just read it and be like oh and then move on like why wouldn't you go back and revisit absolutely I I subscribe to the theory that any book can be a self-help book if you gain Mm. something from it are there any self-help books for you in front of me oh that's such a good question do you know what I do see some actual self-help books I can see how to be a person in the world by Heather Evreletsky who is the Ask Polly advice columnist on the the cut cut. who I know we're both big fans of yeah I absolutely adore that and I tell you another book that uh, that's reminded me of I don't know where it is maybe I've lent it to somebody is um, I was told there'd be Cake by Sloane Crosley, which I just love as well. And I think, you know, we are living in a time that is very rich for sort of millennial and 30-something hilarious memoirs. And I love love them all. Yours the most. But no, so I I have read a lot of non-fiction recently, actually. Actually, do you know what? H is for Hawk. I found that very therapeutic when I read that one. Um, So that's Helen MacDonald and... It's such an incredibly soothing book, but not in the way that people normally mean, I think, when they talk about soothing books. So mm. it's not remotely light or fluffy. It's um, it's a book, it's so evocative of, uh, you know, the, the sort of, she's writing about training this hawk and there's lots of her getting up at the crack of dawn and going out into the sort of dank February morning. Teaching in... it the alphabet. <laughs> bounce balls on its nose and um no but it's beautiful and she, she's um getting over the the death of her father and her father sort of sparked her love of, of birds of prey when she was younger my friend joe turned me onto that one actually and um and yeah and i remember reading that and thinking oh wow actually this is it forces you to go slow you know mm. there's something about the way that she reads it that really forces you to take stock and almost to take breaks because it is quite heavy going but in a nice way so you kind of want to stop and think about what you've read and chew it over a little bit and um yeah that one is is quite therapeutic I've got a hypothetical 50 million pounds for you and um and a slot on Netflix um you've got to adapt something in front of us for tv what would you pick who would you cast oh god that's such a good question okay I'm gonna think about this carefully not just say something stupid I mean (laughs) and who will play the snake (laughs) Jules pony trick um do you know what and it's it's actually not on my shelf because I think I borrowed it from a friend and then had to give it back many years later reluctantly um Barbara Trapido's um the brother of the more famous Jack oh that's so weird because Caroline O'Donoghue (gasps) who we recorded with earlier today did she say that she just finished the audiobook I didn't ask her that question but it came up there we go that was it it was I asked her which fictional house would she most like to squat in oh my god yeah so that is such a delicious book and actually I think I'm really overdue a reread definitely not been on telly it might have been I've never seen it I've never seen it either but it may maybe it was done it might have been done in the 80s or something I bloody love that book and I've got so Frankie and Stanky is up there as well which um again I don't remember much about it but I know I liked it is that for shame, I can't remember. Is that part of that series of stories, or is that separate? No, I is that think it's separate. It's set in South Africa. Oh, because mm. I know I recently read the sequel to Temples of Delight, 
without knowing it was a right. sequel. Um, ah. There's another, but then um, people from Temples of Delight turned up. Because they start popping up. And it's exactly I like when that. you're at a party and your best friend who you've not seen in age, I'm a terrible friend. I have lots of best friends that I've not seen in five years. I'm like, <laughs> oh, it's you! I'm so excited to see you. Like a yeah. long lost relative walking oh, through the door. That is my favourite thing when authors put little kind of in-jokes and little references mm. in there as prizes for the really Easter attentive eggs. fans. At least eggs. I love that. Um, so how would you cast Brother of the More Famous Jack, which uh, regular listeners might know, is a story about a um, North London Jewish family mm-hmm. who have a sort of bucolic, idyllic place yes. in Sussex. And you've got Jane, it's the wife. Is it? It's not Jacob, is it? Who's I think it is Jacob Gold. Get Jacob Goldman, yes. isn't it? Yeah. Jane and Jacob. And then the two brothers... I'm not going um, to be able to remember their names. And one is sort of a bit more serious and earnest and academic, and one is a bit of a... Bit of a, a goer. Bit of a lad. Bit of a goer. doesn't really quite do him justice, does it? But vivacious and... Yeah. He actually reminds me a little bit of um, Oswald in um, the Samoyed stories. Is Oswald in the Samoyed stories? Five Children in It? Yeah. I don't remember well, Oswald. That, no, the Treasure Seekers. Or oh, the treasure I haven't hunters. read the Treasure Seekers. This is just me... Shouting out like a drunk on a street corner. I mean, I'm going to do my Samiad impression for you if oh, you're not please careful. Do. Please do. I'm I mean, it's just constipated. It's just <laughs> like he's just constipated, and this is entirely based on the CBBC yes. adaptation, of course. Wishing a little harder every, every day. day. Anyway, um, yeah, I was very, very big into that. I Again, say, an adaptation. For, you for see, for the listeners, Lauren kind oh, of. Oh, I'm cutting. <laughs> Squatting. She's doing a sort of a slightly hunched squat and doing a kind of it's as if you're making you're saying H N N N N N N G in quite a focus. That's amazing because me and my sisters constantly we still do Samiad impressions yes. at each other. Yeah, my brother's if we want to make it. something to have make something happen for each other, we'll just go and one of those odd for the, the listeners, there are lots of things about our relationship where you'll say it and I can't quite believe that it came out of your mouth yeah. and not mine I like to believe that there was one of us in every county and one day we will, <laughs> we will collect the whole set so you're the Dorset representative and I was Sussex I don't know though because I'm going to be quite pissed off when you're busy mates with the other counties I'm so. sorry <clears throat> who is this so I, re- I rarely leave London it'll take a while I know um, you recently married your friends I did yes yeah, I had to officiate my uh, my best friend's wedding, which was a very honourable occasion, but really terrifying. And you've written a really beautiful piece about it, which we will put in the show notes. Thank but you. if you had to give a book as a wedding present, what would it be? Ooh, that's interesting, isn't it? Do you know what? And this is this will be a bit of a lulzy answer, but um, Diary of a Nobody by George and Weed and Grossmith. Oh. Because... There it is! And Dale's found it. There we go. That's a bit of a weird addition, but... Yeah. It's a slightly kind of like jokey Soviet cover. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't really know what they were thinking with this, but it has got the original illustrations, I think. Was it Punch? Was it serialised in Punch? Or something like that. And it was um so this one I reread a lot and I just think it is so funny. And I made I made Matt, my boyfriend, read it. Um as a sort of, I'm not going to say as a test, but as a test, mm. let's be honest. Because I just, I knew that, I, you know, he had to find it funny. And, and thankfully he did. But I think actually the marriage that's depicted in this is really quite sweet. Not necessarily one you want to aspire to, but could be worse for the time, I'm going to say. And it's a very, it's just this brilliant comic picture of suburban middle class life and the tr- tiny trivialities it, exactly of life. that. 
the Napa Lucia, the resenting anybody for trying to be better than be they better should than be. better themselves completely, yeah. And Puta, Mr. Puta, mm. who is the uh, protagonist, um, is, is just a classic example of one of those kind of ridiculous figures that everybody around is laughing I at and he doesn't do realise it. I often think how this book really is. It's the accusation that is so often levelled at, you know, women who write that it's kind of inconsequential yes very nothing happens nothing happens there's no war in this there's no explosion nothing happens yeah that's bloody love it basically my brief would you ever write a memoir or a novel or both yes both absolutely i i would i would love to i so fiction is something that i really really want to write but i i'm a bit stumped on stories so i've got lots of ideas for I guess for the nothing happens part. Mm. So I know, <laughs> you know, that's the trouble. I know that I know how I would want to sketch characters and I have lots of ideas for little vignettes and little details and little scenes mm. and I have lines that I scribble down. But don't ask me what the story is because I have no idea. Um, I do think nothing happens is a great name for a novel. There we go. It's the, yeah, the uh, Larry David, Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> approach to fiction writing. Memoir is interesting. I think... Um, I haven't had a particularly interesting life. I mean, I, I really haven't. Like, you can't argue with that. It's been fine. Um, Again, it's been fine. It's Great been fine. <laughs> but I do think there are things that I would like to write about, such as the all-girls school experience, I think is something that, oh, if I don't do it, nice. someone's going to do it pretty quickly because, it, you know, it's so formative. And whenever you talk to other people who went to single-sex schools, and actually I've just remembered Perfect Liars, um, mm. by Rebecca Reed, which comes out um, in a couple of months, yes. I think. That is a fantastic sort of dark crime mystery thriller. And that is about three three best friends who met at boarding school and who have been harbouring a dark secret for many years. And I think she perfectly brings out the sort of slightly more sinister side of some of those friendships that you forge um thankfully none of mine are like that <laughs> I did <laughs> I love to say that but it's true I love that book and I think she's so strong on the the way friendship can be really complicated oh and yeah toxic really and toxic. very full of them yes I would like to write the, the, the much more joyful right. <laughs> the much more joyful flip side of that I think I mean also so Louise Renison was such a formative influence for my my friends and I to the point where there are I mean, literally, our, our WhatsApp group is called Ace Gang um, oh. after the the girls in the Louise Renison books. Um, and I was furious really when they made the film of Angus Thongs and Full Frontal Snogging, or Perfect Snogging, as they called it, and they set it in a, in a co-ed school. And that ruined it, mm. in my eyes. The whole point was it was meant to be a single-sex school, and um, it was all about that dynamic. So, uh, yeah, I would like to write something about that as well. So maybe that's fodder for a memoir, I don't know. Huge thanks to Lauren, who can be found across social media, at Lauren Bravo. Her book, What Would the Spice Girls Do?, published by Bantam Press, is out now. It's a charming, uplifting love letter to female fandom. And if you've ever made a microphone out of something you found in your bathroom, you need to read it. I'm Daisy Buchanan. Thank you so much for joining me, fellow shelf obsessives. You can find me on Twitter, at NotRollerGirl, and on Instagram, at TheDaisyBee. Say hello, suggest some guests and watch out for shelfies. Visit our show page, acast.com slash booked, for more information about our guests and a list of the books they talked about. If you have any other queries about the podcast, you can email us at whybooked at gmail.com. That's the letter Y, booked at gmail.com. Your Booked is produced by Dale Shaw for New Alaska and hosted by Acast. Please do subscribe, rate us and leave a review. It's great to hear what you think. 
and it helps other people to find the podcast. I'll see you next time for more chat with readers with text appeal. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.